This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the Old City of Jerusalem overlooking the Western Wall. Truth. Truth is a, an amazing subject, so I'd like to break it down a little bit. We'll see where we go with it. Um, I mean, there's obviously truth versus lie, you know, and we all know that, that, you know, we all have that little voice in our head that tells us what we're about to say is not so true. And most of us ignore that voice, but bad idea. You want to get good at that little feeling inside and learn how to take the fork towards truth. When you feel that feeling in your heart, really, really a good practice because uh, I just, uh, there's a million reasons why. But regarding truth, how much truth are you willing to have? Like, how much truth you want in your life? I mean, there's a lot of things that are just not true that are built in conventional society, which will make you a pariah, a freak, if you were to really be that truthful about them. Meaning we're all supposed to, you know, lie a little bit in the way we deal with society. For example, um, I'll get a showing of hands. Um, how many people have had teachers that in your life that you feel were were uh, yeah inadequate inadequate for their job or what they were doing or they weren't really coming from a truthful place or who had educators like that whether it was staff all the way down so you see a lot, a lot of people like that now they're in charge of like the next generation these people and so we had to go along with things you had to go along with it you know, and you and I don't think any of us want to have the child that goes against them. You know, none of us want that Abraham, the Abraham syndrome kid, who's going to throw the the educational uh, management on his head. You know, by by exposing them. So I just had a recent idea for the modern Orthodox community. Actually, um, the the. I'm, I'm thinking about different communities and how to help them. And so if you ask the modern Orthodox community, they would tell you that their biggest issue is, is the, um, I mean, obviously the biggest issue is the kids are hemorrhaging because, you know, the millennial pressures to be like every other millennial kid and like, which is basically atheist and, and, you know, identity politic, liberal, you know, like, like, you know, tyranny, ultimately, even though they're always yelling about tyranny, but what bigger tyranny is that when kids are growing up feeling pressured they can't say what they what they believe from their homes and the values they had like that's the biggest tyranny is if you you can't speak and so a lot of modern orthodox kids uh different than haredi kids i mean if you're raised with a black hat you're supposed to go against the modern society if you're raised without the black hat you're supposed to be integrated somewhat you know you're supposed to be someone who smells like torah yet you're totally integrated in the world around you and you're with it, you know, whatever that means. But we, I just explained what that means today. And so what are they supposed to do for these kids, you know, with, who are highly influenced? So the answer is, well, there's only two other places to look, the education system and the parents. <coughs> education system and the parents. Well, the education system is going to say, well, Torah, Torah, Torah. And the parents are going to be like, Lexus, 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 you know, and, and it's just going to be, you know, there's just going to be two voices in the kids' heads that are going to, you know, it's just going to conflict. It's not congruent. And so what happens is a lot of educators think, well, why don't we create a couple million dollar program 
that will get the, um, first of all, the educators, get them in, you know, up to speed with the kids, like it helps them work out a way that they're in with the kids. And also, let's create a, you know, a couple million dollar program that gets the parents in tune with the educators. You know, who knows, I have one idea to send them all away. You know, we have, for example, Project Inspires, the Nation Torah original program, but today is about the uh, <laughs> getting the observant community to to um, reach out. And they, anyway, they have this giant Shabbaton. So what if the modern Orthodox system has giant Shabbatons where they have top speakers in the world? That Who's at the Shabbaton? The educators and the parents. And we have a whole Shabbaton, a three-day Shabbaton where we get their hearts and minds together. You know, Now, that would be a big undertaking, but it's doable, and you wouldn't have to reinvent the wheel because... People are already doing the Aguda, the Aguda has a Shabbaton. That's a Haredi one. Project Inspire is also quite Haredi, and that's another Shabbaton. And, and you have, uh, you have uh, Shabbos Kerav Tani, which is the Hasidic one. I mean, you don't have to reinvent anything. You can even hire the same people to run this. Um, but then I had a brand new idea. And what's the new idea? It's an amazing idea. Because right now we're discussing truth. What about we go with truth instead? What if we just truth, truth out? What do we just truth out? Well, how do you truth out? Very easy. There are, t- there are probably between five and ten speakers in the Jewish world, probably five and ten speakers in the Jewish world today, who tell the truth. And everyone loves them. Kids are crazy about them. Middle-agers love them. Even old people are like, you know, they're just entertained, you know, by, by these people. But there's, there's these spiritual teachers out there who are real truth, truthful and they tell the truth. And they're, you know, they're independent. They're quite maverick. You know, they don't work for institutions, but, but they tend to get hired as the top speakers. So, um, so like, for example, who would you guys name as maverick top speakers? Let's see how big a list we can get. They got to be maverick top speakers who are, you, you, when you're listening to them speak, you know they've got, they're, you know they're locked in. Like they, they are, these are spiritual individuals. So let's hear some names. Jordan Peterson. No, no, in the Jewish world. Jonathan Sachs. Okay, Sachs is locked in. Who else? Platnik. Okay. She's like the biggest rabbi in the world. I was going to say that. Platnik's like the biggest rabbi in the world. I tell this sometimes, speaking of feminist groups, you know, and they're like, why can't women be rabbis? I said, what do you mean? The, the, the biggest Orthodox rabbi in the world is Lori Platnik. She's, she's the number one most influential rabbi out there. So she's a rabbi? Well, what does rabbi mean? A rabbi means teacher, an influencer, someone who leads the Jewish people. Well, how about Lori Palatnik? Yeah, who else? Who? Uh, he's not out there speaking everywhere. He's, he's more local, training people. Uh, who else is out there? I'll just put an R to honor all of them, okay? Um, <laughs> Rabbi Wallerstein, yeah, he's out there. Charlie Harari. Harari. Who else? We're missing a big one. Mizrahi. Rabbi Mizrahi. Rabbi Mizrahi. Rabbi Mizrahi is very big, but but sometimes he freaks people out. Okay, so we gotta have like non. None of these people like are very controversial. It'll make everyone freak. Yeah. By the way, he's he would be on the list except he freaks people out. And we're trying to help the modern orthodox in this particular case. Yeah. Menis Friedman. Menis Friedman. Who? Menis Friedman. Oops. 
Very good. We're getting a nice list. Rabbi Kellerman. Is there an R there? No. No, it's Kellerman. Kellerman. Is it Godwin? No. No, he's a philosopher. Who else? Rubenstein, Rabbi Jacobson. Why, uh, Rubens, oh, why, 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 Jacobson? Yeah, Jacobson's on there. Um, who was the other one you said? Rubenstein? Jacobson, Rubenstein. Rubenstein. The, um, okay, Erlowski. Oh, Rieti. Oh, Rieti. Very good. I was waiting for something to say here. Yeah. Rabbi uh, Avichai. Avichai Cohen. Yeah. The Kiva Tax. Very good. Who else? Who? Yamima. She tells the truth, Yamima? I never got to go to her class because it's women only. <laughs> She says very, the truth. Very true. Yeah. yeah, even if it's like controversial. Yeah. Who else? Manny. Who? Manny. Manny. I don't know. You don't know him. Uh-uh. I tell the truth. I try. I do my best to do. Who? Uh, Aram Twersky. Okay, I think we're over ten. Hey, there's one you're missing, y'all. Um, you got a few more. You got um, Rabbi um, uh, Gav Friedman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say him too. Rob Gav. Yeah. And then you got um, Daniel Katz, Rabbi Daniel Katz. The Elevation Project. Anyone heard of Rabbi Daniel Katz? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's also like a phenomenal teacher. Okay, so everyone sees this list. Do you say what? It's not even. We need one more. Oh, we need one more? <laughs> <laughs> well, some of these people are, are a little bit too entertaining, too. Or what? I don't know who that is. He's a big one. You've heard of us? Yes. <laughs> Tell us the truth. Yes. Tell the truth. And he's spiritual by nature? Thank you. Can you take a photo of that and send it to me? You have your phone? Either one. Anyway, so here we got this list. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, sixteen transformational rabbis. So here's the idea. We get together all sixteen. It's eighteen. Oh, eighteen transformational rabbis. And uh, and we and let's just get it to twenty. And we'll call it the big twenty. And they're like they love that the Kotel, they love this idea. <laughs> anyway, and also, we'd probably remove one or two because we're talking about non-entertainment. No, they're not funny, okay? Not taking funny people. Okay? We're taking people who you can tell have paid major dues, major dues on spiritual quests. Meaning they are people who you get the feeling that God's here when they're here. They're people who are like, you know, they're, they're living it. You know, You know they've been spending a lot of time when no one sees them on their relationship with God big time. So what happens, you create a grassroots movement, is you take these people, raise a couple million bucks, but not that much, and what you do is you hire them 
to speak in the whole school system of the modern Orthodox people, where every semester they get a talk from every single one of them. Can you imagine in one semester? Every single one of them, and not a short talk, a three-hour journey. So what happens in the end, their teachers, no offense to a modern Orthodox teacher, because some I'm sure are great, and some I'm sure should be replaced, but, but the, uh, the teachers, even the great ones, look like buffoons in front of the, 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 not in front of these guys. They look like buffoons in front of the, the transformation that happens in the student body over these incredible encounters. So they're having all these encounters, and not just some, a lot of them, with all these people. And also, they're going to hit all different modalities, so the whole population is going to be touched deeply in the experience, because, you know, one guy might not speak to you, but he might speak a lot more to you, and then one speaks to you more than that. So, anyway, what happens is we turn the entire education system and the parents... We, create, we make them obsolete as, as, um, as guides. Because, because in the end, they are obsolete. They are obsolete. The parents don't have their finger on the pulse, and nor do the educators. Otherwise, the kids would be much more willing to be involved in their Jewish lives. If, if, it was, if the parents were so convincing in their spirituality and the teachers were so convincing including, obviously, management and education system, were so convincing as, their, as spiritual guides, the kids wouldn't be hemorrhaging like this. So what do we do? Let that whole generation of teachers and educators and management and parents go out to pasture. Let them all go out to pasture. They don't have to lose their jobs. You can let them stay. You know? But let them ultimately become, over the next 10 years obsolete. Who's going to rise up? So all those kids are going to Israel, I promise you. Those kids are going to find these rabbis. Most of these rabbis live here anyway because, remember we spoke about people who tell the truth? So it's really hard to live outside of Israel and tell the truth. Like on a deep level. It's really hard to do that. You have to be willing to go along with stuff. If Go along with conventional you know, garbage if you want to live outside of Israel. So, so I meaning you have to like turn a blind eye on like like, you have to turn a blind eye on our sages completely. I mean, anyone who learns Gemara knows that, like, like you're living a lie if you live outside of Israel. You know, if you, if you, if you really are paying attention to the Talmud you're learning, you know, you, you just have to turn a blind eye if you want to live outside of Israel. And so what's going to happen is that whole generation is going to come to Israel. All those kids are going to come and find these teachers and sit by their Shabbos tables and come... And it's just going to automatically filter out into the schools as they will become the teachers. The kids that get infected by this super spiritual virus from these revives, the kids are going to in turn find themselves learning Torah, not all of them, but many of them in a very serious way. And those men who are learning Torah that very serious way is going to have all the girls bump their game up because they want to marry them. They want to marry somebody. The guys are all getting really serious about their service of God and, and their study of Torah, so they're going to bump their game up. The whole thing's going to bump up, and then they're going to filter out and become the teachers in about 10, 15 years from now. They will be the ones teaching in the school system. And they're also going to be the parents. And so the whole world turns spiritual. What do you think of that plan? 
I think it be, could be done quite cheaply. Consider they're all on the circuit anyway. So we did have a talking about dreams. <laughs> anyway, I'd love to hear anyone's comments about this. Um, you don't have to comment right now, but I'd love to hear your comments. Back to truth. If you really, really want to tell the truth, life's going to get super uncomfortable for you. I mean, how far can you take it? You can take it quite far. For example, environmentally. I mean, how many of us want to be that truthful environmentally? You know, I mean, I want to be pretty truthful environmentally, but I want to be that truthful. You know, I, I do like having my own car. You know, I'm sure there'd be a greater truth if I didn't. But that wouldn't help my surfing or mountain biking when I'm... That's a little uh, Kotel frenzy going on down there. I always think what the Arabs on the Temple Mount think when they hear this stuff. Because it's bouncing right off the Jewish quarter, straight over the wall, and they're just like... They're probably like diving under tables. (laughs) Here they come. So, so the uh, little they know, everyone's just celebrating. They probably think it's like chants against like Islam or something. Really, it's just a bunch of knuckleheads dancing around down there. What? The Torah says we're supposed to conquer nature. Conquer nature. It says where? It says le le to guard. Right? What is it saying about the garden? To preserve, but you still have to preserve. be the person that's... Uh, yeah, we... we serve you, not you serve it. Yeah, but, but you're, you still have to take good care of the garden. you got to take care of this place. We have a whole, uh, whole Torah commandment to be environmentalist in our interactions. You know, with uh, has to do with not cutting down... It, the binyan of, the, the, the principal commandment is the not cutting down a fruit tree in war. Yeah, like you're in war, maybe you can. You can't cut down a fruit tree in war. And, uh, we need food. Well, we need food, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, but how environmentally true do you want to be? I was just at the, I was just at the Grateful Dead concert in, uh, in uh, Los Angeles like three weeks ago, and, and I walk in with this... I was walking in with my brothers and my mom, 80 years old, coming to the dead show. It was so cute. And I'm walking in there, and, and I just noticed, like, the, the most crunchy hippie I've ever seen. I mean, everything was dreading. Like, his beard was dreadlocks. His hair was dreadlocks. And he was just so off the grid, this guy. I don't even know what he was doing in Los Angeles. Like, he, I mean, I, he must have been from Venice Beach or something. And... and Anyway, but I, we're ta- I'm talking to him as we, we're walking in. We just walked past the metal detector, and which was the last time I saw my AirPod Pros, by the way, which is lame. And they fell out of his pocket here. So now I, I keep my new AirPods in my pant pocket. I learned my lesson. It's the first thing I've lost in like 10 years. I'm always bragging about not losing things. Yeah, so much for that. I just got my Bluetooth Jambox speaker back. Which is the, those jam boxes by Jawbone have gone extinct. It's the best one that was ever made. But I, of course, I did not worry that it will turn out when it did yesterday. Um, anyway, is Jerry Garcia. Still alive? Jerry no, Garcia. I think he's. Uh, I think he's a Ben and Jerry's flavor. Yeah. So I guess he's still alive. 
<laughs> he's not, but he's been replaced by this young whippersnapper who used to be a heartthrob Grammys winner named John M- Mayer. Mayer. He's in the Grateful Dead. He's Jerry. No, he's not. <laughs> yes, he is. That's and he did such a great job. If you closed your eyes, it was Jerry. Yeah, a heartthrob, young punk who's like won Grammys uh, has become, you know, Jerry Garcia. And what a great job he did. Yeah, you would love it. You should see Bob Weir. <laughs> he looks like an old goat. Yeah. And everyone just goes crazy when he when he'll sing, you know. So, anyway, this hippie, I see this, crunch, you know, extra crunchy hippie bend down to what seemed like nothing. I was, like, going to help, thought he tripped or something. What do I see? He's bent down to pick up a straw wrapper off the ground of the, you know, L.A. Forum concert hall. He's picking up a straw wrapper on his way to the concert. It's like... When's the last time you picked up a straw wrapper on the ground outside a concert hall, you know? And now he's holding it. And I'm like, what's that? It's, it's a straw wrapper. Saved it. <laughs> Saved the straw wrappers. Yeah. So you know what I said to him? Because he didn't know where to put it exactly. So I said, I'll pocket it and put it away later. And the next morning I found a straw wrapper on my pocket. And... Uh, and I, I'll, I'll never forget, like 30 years ago, I was at a dead show and I found this hippie in the bushes doing yoga. And I was like, that just looks like the most uncomfortable position I've ever seen. But he was in a bush, you know, with branches and like, I don't know how he was doing it. And I looked down at the bottom of his left hand, like on the ground, and he, his fingers like snatch a little plastic bottle. And then he makes his way out. And he's like, I got it. You make hippies sound like exotic cannibals. <laughs> they are. And not cannibals, though, but they, they, the guy just wanted to get the, he spotted a bottle in a bush and it had to go into this crazy contor- contortion to get it. And he spent time doing it, but he got it. And, the, and so we're so not like that. And we don't, wanna, we don't wanna be that truthful. Do you wanna be that truthful? No, thank you. You know, I think I'll leave trash collection to trash collectors and hippies. You know, and and then there's how truthful do you want to be with your resume if you're dating? <laughs> Not so truthful. And the you know, let's let's just like let's just is is omitting certain things truthful? You know, let's just omit stuff. You know, we'll we'll work that out once we're married. You know. <laughs> yeah, I always say that my wife and I being uh, Balichuva is the best thing. You know why? It gets rid of all the great Shaduchim. <laughs> you caught that? It gets rid of all the great Shaduchim. Because you're in the in the idolatry of of great and the idolatry of looking good and having all the right externals. To become what's called a great shidduch. In that in that idolatry, you know. Thankfully, my wife and I, being a, uh, from, a, you know, not being raised as observant as everyone else, the uh, it's perfectly taken our kids off the list of those those shidduchim, which means that we are our kids are well protected from being raised in families that whose Judaism is only 
a millimeter thick. And so, and so all the great shidduchim are already off the table. And now we can potentially have our kids join families that are very real. You know, my daughter actually just married uh, the son of Rabbi Ari Niven, the great Musser movement, uh, runs VODs all over the world and, and stuff, Rabbi Niven. And, um, and so that, that, was, that was perfect for us. Real people. So, the um, by the way, in, I want to speak in deference. Like I know a lot of people who are great shidduchim who also have all the externals, but they also have all the internals too. There's a lot of people who are very, 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 very beautiful people who are who have that both within and without, and they're and they're good at checking out shidduchim. But anyway, how how much are we willing to live with truth? Yeah. Aren't there some situations, and I don't know, maybe the correct sources, but where you're supposed to maybe tell your wife she looks good in something, or there are things you're supposed to do, which is kind of considered a lie for shalom. Like yeah, yeah. There's times. There's times. Like if she asks you, "Does this dress make me look fat?" Right. You're supposed to. You're not supposed to say it's it's you actually. <laughs> it's not the dress. Yeah, that'd be so, a killer. <laughs> By the way, you're not supposed to say it's the dress either. That would also get you in trouble. Yeah, it must be the dress making you look so fat. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine a guy who's really stuck? He's like, is it the dress making her look fat? He's like, he doesn't know which one to choose. So he's like, it's the dress. She's like, you bastard. (laughs) He's like, you can't win. There were only two choices. <laughs> so, anyway, the, um, the, yeah, you're, you're supposed to, you're definitely, you don't want to be that truthful. In, you don't want to be that truthful in any case. You don't want to be that truthful. Uh, you don't want to hurt people and be that truthful. You know? sometimes, sometimes there's a place for it, but you want to err on the side of not being that truthful so you don't hurt anybody. You don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Anyway, bottom line is, I got another one, and I'm not going to discuss it. Vaccinations. <laughs> I, get, I get People just think I'm an, anti, I'm an anti-vaxxer only because of my style. Only because of my style. What do they know if my kids are vaccinated, my kids aren't vaccinated, like any of these things. You know, you know what I mean? Like, when was the last time I ever discussed vaccinations? You're like, how about never? You know? But I'll get these WhatsApps going like, I need a little support about, you know, not vaccinating my kids, please. <laughs> I'm just like, I guess there must be personality types that are just anti-vaxxers. But, but it's really, a, you know, that has been a really freaky experience for highly truthful people who are going to like go online and watch all the horror for, horror films on YouTube you know the 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 va- the anti-vax videos you know anyone's going to watch those videos and your mom like good luck vaccinating your kids you better off not looking at those videos don't research anything and just vaccinate your kids so they can stay in school you know and and if you somehow wound up being the statistical pro- improbability the statistical improbability of having your kid, you know, your kid's genetics go haywire. So 
you lived in reality. The reality is they want everyone vaccinated, and, and that's what you got to deal with. And go ask your rabbi. And these days, 9 out of 10 or 99 out of 100 rabbis will say you have to vaccinate. So, so you did your part. And if the kid winds up looking like a pumpkin, so that goes... It'll go on the rabbi. That'll be the rabbi's cheshbon upstairs. You know, put it on your rabbi. You know, isn't that what rabbis are for anyway? Aren't they supposed to go to hell for us? I mean, I think about it all the time. I, I have a question. It's a serious question. And I'm not messing with that. I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. And so what do I do? I call Rabbi Berkowitz, Rosh Shiva Veshatar, and I say, here's the question. And he just like, oh yeah, do this. And I do it without even, like, skipping a heartbeat. My blood pressure doesn't rise at all. Why? Because if it really was wrong, who's going to hell? He is. <laughs> you understand? So it's, like, so it's like, that's one of the importances. We spoke earlier about how smart people are, are, you know, most bad things happen in the world because of smart people. And that's why smart people is irrelevant. You need, you're at Shemayim. You need to have fear of of God, and, and, and you, need, you need to be someone who is reverent first, with good character, and then we'll talk about how smart you are. And so, that's why to be a big rabbi like that, you need to be, it's not smart, you need to be very reverent of God, and, and then you can start answering questions of that, of, you know, serious nature. Yeah? Can we address when is not well, I even mentioned the vaccinations. It could like it could very well be that that if it's true that it's Russian roulette for the children, so then it might be a, more appropriate to go against that truth and to like just so go with the flow. Things. What's that? Truth and good character. To be when truthful. It, when it becomes that very damaging. Uh, what's an example of where someone being truthful could be a bad character? Um, I'm really bored in this lecture. <laughs> so, I mean, that would be like a really rude thing to say. Yeah. Um, in a bad character. In a bad character, because you always learn. That, that's a general one. I mean, mm. um, she was being truthful. No, I wasn't. <laughs> no, I wasn't at all. I, mean, I imagine you wouldn't have said it if you were no, really bored. Exactly. <laughs> no, but no. I mean, you learn, what it was oh, the first thing I learned in seminary, you know, when, when, when you're in your, you know, classes, is, is this delicate balance of, of when you say what? Because the potential for, for damage is, is great. So, so and it, you, you addressed it at the beginning, not speaking, is that truthful, withholding, or is mm. that dishonest? And I think that's where... Yeah, I think I think we're all in agreement that it, that it's smart to to keep our mouth shut a lot of the time, but but I'm trying to focus more on lifestyle stuff. I see. And lifestyle, yeah. It's like when someone asks you how was your day, you say good, even though you're not having a good day. But why, like, if I ask someone, I'd rather them tell me the truth. I don't want them to say good. Maybe they're having a bad day, so I would feel for them. Uh, so why uh, wouldn't you do the same to other people? I don't know. I mean, you're going to tell everyone how your day was. You get asked how was your day a lot. Random stranger, but let's say it's like most people don't say that they're having a bad day. Uh Okay, so it might not be appropriate to say it, you know, because you don't want to deal with it right now. And if you do, they're going to get all poor you and can I help you? And it's like if you tell someone you're having a bad day, you're basically handing them the ball Mm -hmm. of you. Therefore, you must help me. And so 
it might be that this is a good person to help you, and you should hand them the ball. But it might be better just not to say that you're having a bad day. I used to say, Baruch Hashem, terrible. I used to say it all the time. If I was having a rough day, I'd say, Baruch Hashem, terrible. They would laugh, and I'd keep walking. Because I don't want this guy to be my shrink, but I want to be honest. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, there was there was another application I wanted to give you, and then I wanted to uh, call, call it to a close. So it turned out we had one class that wasn't really the best class. <laughs> I was no, I was much more on a roll the other day, uh, the other days this week. But then again, I told you how I woke up this morning. It was not good. You know what? I, I felt like I felt like uh, sorry to mention a pumpkin again, but I felt like I felt like a Halloween pumpkin kicked in by a drunk punk rocker. <laughs> And it kicked in for me right there. Yeah. So, so I guess the fact that I'm even standing here in front of you is already pretty positive. What was it from? I don't know. I don't know yet. But uh, it should just go away. Um, there was another application of truth. You know what? I don't... I don't know what, uh, how to say this. I'm, once in a while I have a student, and I have one right now, who's very truthful. And it's messing them up. It's messing them up. You know? In what way? In every way. In every way. He's, he's uh, I mean, I have several students like this. One of them, I don't want to say where this one lives, but it's uh, south of the equator. Um, and I think things are stable now, but like half a year ago, it was like his wife left because he was getting all apocalyptic and freaked out. Um, he couldn't, he just like was basically thrown out of the community because he, he was calling out the rabbis in the middle of their sermons. (laughs) And it wasn't what he was saying wasn't real and true. He really has, I know the kid, you know, he has a strong compass pointing north, you know, and it's really strong, and he can't have a rabbinical figure say anything other than truth if he's in the room. And he was calling him out, you know, calling out the rabbis publicly, you know, in the synagogue, you know, on Shabbos. And uh, also taking his kids, um, his kids, uh, you know, uh, teachers and administrators to task. And what happened in the end was he just really wound up completely and totally isolated. You understand, like, his wife and kids went back to her hometown, which was like a couple hundred miles away from there. And, and, the, uh, and there he was alone. And his kids aren't even in the same school system anymore. And then they were, they were promptly vaccinated, which is very interesting, the vaccination thing also. Meaning she just was like, because that school system, the other school system was about to throw him out over the vaccination. This school system wasn't going to let him in without it. So she had, you know, understand it's different than throwing out and getting in. So next thing his kids are vaccinated. And, and does this seem like the kind of guy who's going to be compliant about giving a get? Mm-mm. No. No. And, um, and so, and, and here's the crazy thing is that, is that, this guy who I met as a kid who just came into Asia Torah at like 18 years old 
he sensed the truth that was being spoken here and shed the lie of his upbringing that he had been basically um, um, what's a fancy word for putting up with he shed the lie that he was tolerating and got this gigantic breath of oxygen with the rabbis at Asian Terra that you could actually there you can know something's true and you can even align your life with it and you can live it and next thing you know he's learning Torah for years till he became quite a scholar and then and you know really one of these truthful Torah scholars so like and a brilliant guy too so you know whoever he le- learned with you know he would just cream them I mean it was like because it, it was until you got to the truth of that piece you know, there was no white, you know, there was no fudging. Of the, you can easily fudge pieces of Talmud. You know, where if someone really asked you, you'd be like, well, I don't actually know what that pronoun is. You know, because the Talmud, I don't know what our sages were thinking. They're super liberal with pronouns. And I think it's to sharpen our brains because you just got to hold on to the pronouns big time or you're going you're gonna to come out with the opposite law. You know, but how are you supposed to know the pronouns after like a quarter of a page of of intense, you know, very intense logic on, you know, life and death commandments and laws. And, and uh, it's just packed with pronouns of who's who. And, you know, and, and none of those pronouns are being filled in. And so you can fudge it and still say you learned it. He, you couldn't, he wouldn't fudge it. And if you were learning with him and you started fudging it, he would quickly replace you with a new chavrusa. Anyway, the bottom line is, is once he got out into society, you know, he was also, he's in business and he did well and he became a bit of a macher and stuff, but he still had this truth thing. But once he got settled out in society, he, it was a horrible downward spiral crash and burn. And, and I'm telling that horror story for all of us. And I'm and I'm not and I'm not saying that we should be like him, obviously, because right, nobody wants that. But I'm also I'm also not saying that we should just buy everything we're sold to fit in. But I guess what I'm saying is that we all need to learn how to walk some kind of middle path in our lives, where we can look ourselves in the mirror but at the same time be part of community and society and without having to, meaning look ourselves in the mirror in that we're not lying to ourselves. Shalom, everybody. Good job. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.